Karin Bergstermann appears on Two and a Mic for the first time to talk about her book about parenting and then to provide some amazing insight into how, over the last two centuries in particular, our lives have changed fundamentally. I have long been critical of the spectre of capitalism as it dominates every aspect of our lives in ever-growing waves of temptation, yet what we don't notice is often even more sinister. Natural habits have altered, relationships have changed, behaviour, not always for the worse, but usually without our consensus. As the arguments currently rage over remote working or a return to the office, let's perhaps include within this debate how much our working lives take from us already and consider whether, in fact, it's necessary at all. This is part one of a longer chat I had with Karin, and the second part will be released next week. One of the reasons I do these podcasts is to learn, and learn I did. Thank you, Karin, for your time. Enjoy. I'm joined by Karin Baxterman. Have I said that correctly, Karin? Yes, you have. Thank you. Yeah, good, good. It's great to have you uh, with me because we've actually been trying to get an appointment for ages, haven't we? Yes, we have. And things kept happening, <laughs> coming in the way. Yeah, yeah. And what's what's also quite interesting, there's, there used to be a film, there was, there is still this film called Trading Places back in the 80s. We've traded places somewhat because I'm yeah. born Brit in Germany. You are born German in Britain. Um, yeah. How's that going? Uh, good. Yeah. Now that Brexit has settled down, <laughs> it's not on my mind so ah. much anymore. <laughs> that, that will there never we are with the politics. Hey, that took a long time. <laughs> yeah. Brexit's never going to settle down. No, um, it's not. But yeah. it's not on my forethought uh, mm. anymore. So, okay. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you left uh, Germany, uh, as you said, 13 years ago. Um, That's right. you, you've known Lena all her life and I presume all of yours as well, more or less. Basically all our lives, yes. Okay. All right. So therein lies the details behind how we got into contact with one another. Um, but yeah, so, all right. So you're in the UK at the moment. You're preparing to start uh, a new career in teaching, right? Yes. Yeah, cool. Training to be a teacher in computing. Fantastic. And what kind of age group would you be? Secondary school. So 11 to 16. Okay. The formative pubescent years when people start going crazy. Uh, (laughs) Okay, cool. Something to talk about again, uh, I think. Yeah, teaching, it's got... What's also, I mean, I I teach, but I don't work with kids. But a few weeks ago, I did a a workshop on uh, Nachhaltigkeit, sustainability in German Mm -hmm. with kids. And I I wasn't dreading it, but I've always said I can't work with kids. 
And actually, these kids were fantastic. Between the ages of eight and 13, there were 11 of them. Um, and they were so nice. Um, I'm a bit shocked. So, <laughs> yeah, the problem was clearly me uh, and not the kids. Um, but yeah, so I guess you like working with kids. I like working with kids very much. Yeah. And I like to be back in the computing room. I almost forgot how awesome that is <laughs> because I didn't really program for years. I didn't really. Um, yeah, I worked in a completely different uh, field. And um, now I'm getting back into that and walking through the room and helping the children with their little programs. is just ah makes so it's so fun. I love it so much. Okay. All right. It's also something which I find very uh, courageous on your part because my my auntie was a teacher until she retired. Uh, my one of my cousins is a teacher, so I, I read a lot about teaching in the UK. Um, lots of language teachers, British language teachers, have left in recent years because they just found it so stressful teaching in British schools and they went to mainland Europe where they felt they were much more respected they were um, the kids were nicer to them there was less bureaucracy if that's even possible I don't know <laughs> um, but you, you're you're taking that all on the chin and you're jumping into it um, yeah where does all that courage come from Oh, <laughs> uh, where does it come from? Um, basically, because I wanted to go back into employment again and um, I had a feel around what I'm going to do next. So first I started out doing some invigilating and I liked it at the school. Then I found out that there's a real shortage in computing teachers and I thought, okay, maybe I can do something about that. And also I think that it's really important for children to see women in STEM. So that was um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. And now I'm enjoying it very, very much. Yep, indeed. Um, and uh, STEM is science, technology, engineering and mathematics. In German, it's exactly. MINT, isn't it? MINT, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's very true. Um, unfortunately, it's very true. So it's great that you are actually doing this because it, it is important that kids see, oh, there are women that can do technical things they are very good at mathematics they're good at science um because still for some reason at these younger ages boys think they're better at maths girls think they're not so good at mathematics where does this come because from they, you know? they get they get told that from from when they're really little i mean oh don't worry that you're not good at maths because you're a girl all girls have, have trouble with maths like it, it's it's such a cliche and that it gets perpetuated and by the parents and even by the teachers sometimes and um that's really that's um yeah very detrimental to everyone involved yeah yeah and and that kind of that sort of touches on a number of topics that are all connected and, and just with that one uh, little mini subject area as it were yeah. but anyway let's um let, let's talk a bit further because you said that you wanted to get back into the the classroom you wanted to get back into full-time employment because previously yeah. um you had taken another brave plunge and you are a published author i am so i've uh, written a book about um you know um 
when you first have your kid, your first kid, and everyone suddenly has an opinion on how you should raise them. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and when that's um, your parents or parents-in-law, then uh, it can get a bit tricky and you get into arguments and um, maybe we don't want to have a fallout with the family about that. And so um, that's what our that's where our book comes in. I wrote it with my friend Anna Hofer. And um, yeah, I'm I did the first part, the, you know, history part of where this is come from and the um, societal part uh, of that book. And Anna has the um, psychological background to tell you how to deal with this when when it gets to you too much. Yeah, very, very, very interesting topic. Um, I've got uh, two kids um, from yeah, so my previous marriage um, in London uh, when I lived there, um, and uh, my ex-wife was from Armenia, so therefore another completely different culture and way of doing things. Um, and then obviously we with Lena, so a German wife, another way, different way of doing things to how I grew up. Um, and my parents are from you know, the Middle East. So uh, again, an absolute mishmash of cultures. Mm. And to be honest, I have no idea, uh, having <laughs> raised or helped raise two kids, what the right way of parenting is. Um, but I'm sure somebody would tell me. Um, I don't think there told. is a right way of parenting. I think the right way of parenting is being authentic, being uh, willing to learn from your mistakes. So I think that's the main thing and being willing to accept that you have maybe made a mistake because we all do make mistakes and then uh, yeah, be just ready to learn from them and improve as you go along because you are not a born perfect parent. Nobody is. And it would be sad if we were because what kind of role model would we be to our children because they that would be unattainable. <laughs> Yeah, and um, yeah, I don't think we're robots, are we, to yeah. to be able to rely on sort of uh, programming uh, to, to raise our kids. Um, I, I thought that, not that it occurred to me recently, but a few weeks ago at this or during this workshop, um, I had my plan, everything was organized, of course, and I had a daily plan as well with hours when we could switch from one activity to another, break times and so on. Um but halfway through that had to be chucked out the window because the kids decided, no, we're enjoying this activity. We don't want to change an activity. So we're happy to stick with this activity. And obviously, you know, why am I going to complain with what the kids are happy with? They're doing something that I wanted them to do anyway. Um, so what, what that kind of leads me towards is how much as parents do we actually rely on guidance from our kids? Do we rely on guidance? Um, good question. I think uh, many parents would be well advised to listen more to their children because I think as a society, we don't really do that. We impose very much onto our children and we have expectations that aren't really realistic often enough. And uh, like take sleeping through the night, for example, we're not really made to do that <laughs> as a species. So well into the 1800s, people would actually sleep in uh, two sleeps during the night. So they would be awake after like four or five hours of, of sleep. They would have an hour or two where they were awake and then get, go back to bed again. And um, 
yeah, industrialization ruined that for us. So, um, yeah, there we are. Now we want our kids to sleep through the night for eight hours from, I don't know, age six months or whatever. And it just doesn't work like that. Our kids are very much still uh, Stone Age people. I didn't know that um, uh, until the 1800s that uh, that was uh, okay. That's really interesting. So, all right, obviously you did experience these times personally, but um, how would that have worked then in that case? What what, what kind of times would people go to sleep? When would they wake up? When would they have that two hour break in the night and then go back to very much uh, dependent on 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 the sun really on the on the available light because obviously candles were uh, expensive and they didn't have much else yet um especially not the lower classes you know and um yeah they would basically um go to bed when the sun goes down like maybe 9 in the summer and earlier in the in the winter and then um yeah after about, I, I, I mean, I still sleep like that. I, I, I literally, I wake up after four or five hours every night, <laughs> need the toilet, and then I go back to sleep every my whole life. So, um, yeah, good to know that that's normal. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And most people learn just to know, um, turn around and sleep on. And that's why we think we have slept through the night. But actually, if you go uh, into a sleep um, laboratory and um, yeah, have your brain scanned during the night, you will find out that you actually do wake up. You just don't remember it in the morning. Oh, wow. So that would suggest that my phone or my watch uh, is actually correct when it comes to sleep tracking, because I, I think I sleep at 11, I wake up at s- seven o'clock or whatever, for example, and my watch says, you've slept for five hours and 46 minutes. I'm like, no, I haven't. I slept <laughs> for eight hours. Um, yeah. Okay, but according to you, then, that, then that's correct. It is, probably. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. <laughs> um, I, I read a book, and w- we did... If anybody listening, that we did have uh, a kind of set agenda, more or less, to stick to. But as is always the case, um, that never gets followed. So we'll throw it out oh, the window. Yeah. Um, You're just having a chat. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I read a book last year uh, written by Miriam Lancewood, and it's called Woman in the Wilderness. So she mm-hmm. basically gets married with um, a gentleman that she met in Goa. Um, and then when they are after they're married, they she's a teacher um, in New Zealand, uh, even though she was born in Holland, I believe. Um, but then she decides to quit and they move, they sell everything and they move into the mountains and basically live the natural way. So no electricity, no nothing. She becomes a hunter um, and he prepares the food and tends to the garden and so on. And in the after their first winter, they enter spring. But in the winter, they went to sleep when the sun went down mm. and they became active when the sun rose again, obviously. And she said that spring she had never felt as energetic as then. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, um there's so much imposed on us through the society, through our, you know, 
life, the um, daily life, <laughs> our workplaces, they want us to be there at a certain time. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. It's probably, it doesn't really fit our circadian cycles. So, um, I mean, what do we do? We can't really change that. We can't, you know, overhaul society in that way. <laughs> Uh, but maybe think about um, having a job that allows you to be more flexible with your hours, if if that's what you need, because everyone's different. Some people are fine with getting up at five in the morning <laughs> every day, uh, you know. But um, yes, I mean, in an ideal world, we could all choose, but we can't. Mm. I think it's good enough most of the time, but we should just basically look out for ourselves and for each other. Yeah. And also, I suppose, get more rest, um, yes. even if that means going to sleep a bit earlier and feeling a bit boring in the process. Yeah. And not feeling bad about doing that, because that's if you need it, you need it. And it's OK. You don't have to be productive 24 seven. No, no, absolutely. Which, unfortunately, this is, uh, as you kind of uh, suggested earlier on, you talked about industrialization really changing everything. Yeah, um, yeah lots of uh, the, the, these kind of subliminal messages that come through. We have to be productive. We've got to you know, earn a certain amount. We've got these social norms, as you said, imposed upon us. Um, and, and in many ways, they kind of lead us away from a state of nature in which we would perhaps thrive given a chance yeah maybe i mean it's difficult to say because we will always have some kind of um society because um i mean even even great apes have a society so we, we can't go back to even below that no. so um uh, there will always be some sort of culture um and some influence um that you know we have to live with each other and there have to be rules Nature isn't the lifesaver. It's, it's sometimes supposed to be. It's. Um, I have a problem when people start idealizing nature because nature is also dying from horrible illnesses. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I guess you say is correct to say then that uh, the, the marriage between modern medicine um, and, and the natural lifestyle as much as is possible uh, in the sense of our own individual natures. Um, mm. Perhaps uh, there's something there. Um, okay, so looking at, all right, I'm going to try to pronounce this properly in German, and then you're going to tell <laughs> me the uh, the English uh, translation. So, by meinem Kind mache ich das anders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would I would translate it with um, I'm raising my child differently from how I was raised. Basically, that's in there, yeah. Mm. Um, or maybe maybe even differently from what mainstream. Uh, parenting is but I think it's uh, becoming more and more common to re raise your child um, with the relationship at the forefront uh, that you have with your child instead of just um, you know forming the child into something that you think it should be or they should be mm -hmm. okay and, and what you so as you said you kind of wrote about the the more historical side and uh, Anna Hofer wrote about the psychology of parenthood um, but did you yourself follow the I haven't read the book, so I can't say <laughs> gui guidance here, but is there something laid out in the book and did you follow it? Is there something laid out? Um, 
Well, you can only give in, in, in a book like this. You can only give like general advice. You cannot. It's 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 not a it's not a counseling session. <laughs> you have to talk to real people for that. Um, but you know, we're we're planning out the um, general ideas, and uh, we're trying to um, create more understanding between the generations. Because in the end, we all want the best for our children. We just have different ideas on what that should look like. And um, it's really about communicating those ideas. And um, then as parents, we get to say, okay, but this is my child and I decide. <laughs> um, but generally, we want families on the whole to get along. And this is why we wrote this book. Mm, okay. All right. I mean, generational or transgenerational issues uh, are something which have perhaps come to the fore in recent times. Uh, mm. A couple of podcasts recently actually have touched upon uh, these topics. So in one case, transgenerational trauma, and in another case, um, which still hasn't yet been published, but uh, my guest, Olmish and Josh, he referred to whether or not uh, Generation Z and Generation Alpha would repeat the mistakes of the previous generations. Um, now, obviously, those points were made in a more political context. Um, when you talk about how the next generation does something differently from the previous generation, do you feel, and of course, it's impossible to generalize like this, so therefore, it's fun for me to ask the question and not so fun for you necessarily <laughs> to answer it. Um, but do you feel, generally speaking, that as each generation sort of passes on to the next, we are becoming better parents or worse? Do you have any, is there any way to have a general sense of this development? I think it's getting better. Yeah, I think we're heading in the right direction because we're more focused on um, what children actually need and less on what we want from them. And um, I mean, historically, there, there always has been a correlation between, you know, um, uh, dictatorship and really strict parenting. So if we were to get back to some uh, political nightmare, we might see a backlash in parenting as well. But um, on the whole, I think we're on a good way and um, also parenting our children in a way that they value other people is the best prevention of, you know, horrible politics that we can have. Yeah, we're, OK, the, I, I, I understand that. The, I think in in some cases, though, the unfortunate reality is that some of these horrible uh, political episodes occurred such a long time ago that uh, it seems some people have forgotten about it. And so therefore, they're quite happy to vote in some right wing yeah. people um, without really recognizing the potential dangers of that. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the time, actually, I would be interested in learning how uh, all this topic of how do you recognize fascism are, t are taught in schools today because I very much remember that we were taught about how did this all start back in the Third Reich and how did this come along and um, what 
were the signs and how can we see if something like that's coming up again and prevent it, nip it in the bud. But um, I think a lot of people don't have that knowledge, maybe. Mm. And um, I don't really know how to get that across to them. Um, I think it really has to start early. It has to start in schools and we have to make sure that children learn about that, and learn about the science. And today's Nazis, they will not come along marching down the street. They, they have different means of doing their propaganda and stuff like that. It's actually, we have to be very careful, especially in, in today's um, parenting cycles with um, anyone who does attachment parenting and uh, things like that um, or runs breastfeeding support groups because nowadays um, this is where they come in. They say basically it fits very well with the view that mom belongs to that child and um, this is how they get into they basically undermine those circles, those parenting circles. They um, they infiltrate them literally. And we have to be careful. Like when we organize conferences around breastfeeding or parenting, we always have to be very, very careful who we invite as a speaker because sometimes there are really um, shady characters in there. Uh, we, we had a case like, I don't know, I think it was shortly before the pandemic where um, one of the conferences really had to pull the plug on one of uh, the um, speakers because they didn't really um, background check the home. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a real problem, actually. There's uh, an account on Instagram who um, really follows that uh, through and picks that apart where the problem is with, with this sort of undermining and where it comes from and how we can spot it. I, I'm uh, the name eludes me at the moment, but I would gladly um, give that to you later and you could put it in the show notes or something. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that's really important that people um, are aware of that. Two and a mic.